Thank you for joining the My College Corner podcast. This episode features Vince Passione, founder and CEO of LendKey, providing digital lending technology solutions for over 300 credit unions and community banks nationally. Vince shares his insight on innovation in the student lending space and how this impacts consumers and financial institutions going into the future. Here's your host, John Hupalo. Welcome to My College Corner, sponsored by Invite Education. I'm your host, John Hupalo. Paying for college is a big headache and a stress factor for just about every single family with college-bound children. Student loans, in particular, have become a lightning rod for all that's wrong. We've all heard the chilling sound bites. There is a crippling amount of student loan debt that delays or even stops young adults from buying cars and homes. We've read the statistics and heard the fear message. $1.5 trillion of student loan debt is the next economic bubble to burst. I'm not sure how all that's going to work out, but it still makes me sad to hear and read all of this because there is a better way. Not all student loans are bad, as long as they're well-managed and minimized. To help me sort through this today, I'm joined in my college corner by the founder and chief executive officer of LendKey Technologies, Vince Passioni. Vince, welcome to my college corner. Hey, John. It's a pleasure to be here today. Well, I'm really glad to have a chance to talk to you, Vince. We've known each other for a while. You know, I've spent 25 plus years in student lending, and I look around and we've talked about this sometimes at the same faces, facing the same issues with the same answers, but you're not in that group. Um, You have a wealth of C-level experience away from student lending at Citibank, Ameritrade, DealerTrack, among others. So what got you into this student lending space? Well, you know, John, it's interesting. I, I've always been a big believer, and I've certainly learned that technology can really democratize a space and an industry. And I saw it at Ameritrade uh, when Joe Ricketts took the first trade via an email and how he very, very quickly created transparency and brought all the complexity of what got, what went on on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange into people's homes so they could become traders themselves. Uh, and it's amazing how much access was created uh, as a result of digitizing the trading environment. I saw it again at DealerTrack, where up until DealerTrack, um, most, most, most consumers got, obtained access to auto finance through a process that was paper-based, uh, where they didn't see uh, multiple offers. And after DealerTrack, what we saw is that there were multiple offers, and it, was, it opened up the industry to multiple lenders, community banks and credit unions, right, who, who suddenly were now players in the auto finance space. And as a result of that, it created choice, it created transparency, it created competition, which was good for the consumer. And it was also good for those lenders because they were then forced to, to become more contemporary in the way they built that customer experience. And when I saw the student lending business back in 2008, 2009, it looked a lot like DealerTrack and the auto finance business did prior to DealerTrack, where there were a handful of major money center banks who were offering student loans. It wasn't democratized yet, and there was a great opportunity to turn around and to create access through technology. So, you know, we launched that business in 2009, and it's great to look back now and say that today we have over 300 credit unions and community banks that are offering an education finance option to borrowers. Uh, we, have, we have financed over 100,000 borrowers, and we've deployed over $2.5 billion of capital on behalf of those credit unions and community banks. Well, Vince, you said a few things in there that are really interesting, and I want to unpack that just a little bit. Part of it was back in 2008 to 2010 period, the, the economic crisis, 
um, which you saw as an opportunity to help reshape the student loan industry. Um, I tell folks, I actually believe that that period was necessary for the student loan industry to come on a, a ground where it, was much, it made much more sense for the lenders and for uh, the consumers. Um, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think the industry needed a dislocation, right? And that's what happens. You know, when we saw the securitization market shut down and, and a lot of the funding for many of these lenders had been in the business for a very long period of time, it really caused people to, to pause and rethink the business and decide how to best actually transact it on a go-forward basis. And if it wasn't for that dislocation, I'm not sure that we would have been as successful, right, in, in driving all these new entrants into the space. So look, unlike you know, we we didn't have that benefit when when we we're at Dealer Track, right? There wasn't anybody who could sort of hit a pause button to allow others to catch up. So it certainly did provide the ability for folks to say, let's let's really rethink this and figure out a better way to do it. And I think you know we've seen a lot of technology innovation on the private student loan side in the last sort of eight to nine years as a result of that. Now, Vince, tell us a little bit about that, because you said the word securitization, and for folks who might be listening, for finance guys like us, we understand what that means. But what it really meant was that it was a funding model, which meant if I was a borrower, um, it might likely be that my loan was originated at a bank and then sold off to investors, and those investors might have been Hong Kong or other places. And so there was this dislocation between the customer, as you saw, the, the borrower, and the end uh, investor, the one who provided that funding. And that was a, a fundamental m- mismatch in the way the capital was delivered into the marketplace. But I, I, what I'd love you to do is just talk a little bit of a little history lesson, 2008 to 2018. You talked about innovation. What is some of that innovation that, that came to the marketplace? Sure. So so if you think about the way we built LendKey, we built LendKey so that we could enable community banks and credit unions to offer a digital lending solution to their customers. And you know, the process for provo- provo- uh, applying for a student loan wasn't all that different for, than, than it was for any, uh, any other asset class uh, prior, prior to LendKey and some of the other folks that jumped into the marketplace. So the first thing that we focused on was how to create a real digital experience from end to end. Um, so that the consumer could turn around and apply for a loan and get an instant decision. We're talking about decision within 10 seconds. And then when they were done with that, the ability for them to turn around either on their mobile device or on their laptop to finish the origination process. What does that mean? Well, in layman's terms, it means to prove prove your identity, uh, prove your income, prove that you're in school, right? In the case of, of our lenders, many of them were asking for a transcript, right? All that information could be shared with the originating lender electronically, right, through the application. And then finally, the ability to digitally service the loan so that when, when the consumer was done, the ability for them to turn around and get an electronic bill at every single month and to access a website electronically where they could see how their payment was being applied, print, pr- both principal and interest, uh, their ability to turn around and self-serve if they ever wanted to change their payment instructions were all available to them. So we really kind of looked at the industry and said, there is a need for an end-to-end digital experience that we wound up calling lending as a service, which we don't market to consumers in that way, but we market it to all of the lenders, basically going to these community banks and credit unions and offering them the ability to outsource the entire experience and let them do what they do best, which is let them become the underwriters, let them balance sheet these loans, and then let them build relationships with these young consumers and their parents, because many of the the parents co-sign these loans from the very beginning. 
You know, and what you're talking about, and you said it three or four or five times now, this idea that you looked at a borrower as a customer or a consumer. And my two cents on this is prior to that, they were just seen to be borrowers who needed money and they were captive. Um, so whatever the federal government didn't want to provide, they would have to go out and, and find a private lender. And I don't, my view, tell me I'm wrong, but I didn't think there was very much of a premium on creating a customer experience, as you're saying, end to end. It was you come to our website, if we give you the money, you should be pretty happy and make sure you repay us. And you've taken that to a whole different level. Yeah, and that's what we talked about earlier. I think, look, democratizing, using technology to create access, not only for the consumer, but also for, for these, these local financial institutions that don't have the technology capability, really did allow us to democratize things, right? To create some competition, to create a standard of care that said, this is the way it should be done. And for many of these, these lenders that we it would enter into the market through our, through our product offering, you know, they really viewed this as a way for them to build relationships with millennials, right? I mean, the average age of a credit union client back when we started was probably about 51 or 52 years old. So they really needed to get younger, to, to, to really begin to expose credit unions and later on community banks to this millennial population. So they saw education lending as a way to do that, right? To begin the cycle. And why, why not? The most important thing right at that age is how am I going to finance my education? And then later on, be there for the next life event when it happens. So that was the incentive for many of, of our early lenders to get into the space and to leverage the technology. And what Lenkey did, which was so innovative at the time, and now, of course, there are copycats along the way, is build those bridges and provide the infrastructure and the pipeline to give the credit unions and then the community banks basically a turnkey solution to a population they didn't understand how to access but knew that they needed to. And I, I think the idea of, of leading with technology, as you did based on your prior experience, uh, put Lenkey and, and therefore, quite honestly, the credit unions and therefore their members in a much better position when they were trying to borrow for college. Yeah, we think so, John. And I think, look, we we leveraged a lot of what credit unions did well, which is their cooperative spirit. You know, credit unions do work with each other and they do sort of walk across the street, right, and help each other out, which made it easy for us to then turn around and work with them to build the right kind of experience and then collectively leverage, right, their ability to en enter the market because this is about scale as well. Mm -hmm. um, we, we wouldn't have entered the market if we didn't think it was scalable across every credit union across the country and then eventually every community bank. And it, and, and it proved out, it really did. Um, the interest level is still there today. And you can tell that because many of our clients went from offering an in-school product to then offering a student refinance product as well. Yeah, it's terrific because that's that life cycle, early life cycle of a student graduate from, from college is they have their student loans and they need to do something. And this capacity now to go and uh, refinance those loans just fortify, fortifies that relationship between the credit union and, in fact, their new customer, which was a low-cost acquisition customer, I'd imagine, for that credit union as well. Exactly. And, you know, you talked earlier about fear and about sort of the way people view this market. And I think, you know, unfortunately, right, um, this market has been overly sort of politicized. Uh, and, and in many cases, you know, I go to conferences and I'll sit in the back of the room and there are literally hundreds of financial institutions in the room listening to presentations from consultants from all walks of life that are talking to them about how to acquire a millennial, uh, how millennials build relationships with brands, what their particular financial life cycle is going to look like. And then I get up 
and I turn around and I say, hey, I have an, a product that will guarantee that you will create a relationship with a millennial and possibly their parent or someone else who might co-sign a loan for them. How many people in this room are offering an education lending product? And it's amazing even now, right? When you think about the number of those financial institutions that are out there, not many are raising their hands. And what, what our institutions have learned is that underwritten correctly, this is a very good product, right? It A, fulfills part of the credit union mission, which is to serve their membership, and B, right, it, it's a great asset to have on the books. Uh, and then over time, you can then turn around and use it as the basis to build that next part of the relationship. And as we saw, many of our clients did, they went from let's do an in-school product to let's help that, cons- that, that borrower when they graduate to manage all of their debt right? And consolidated into a single loan. And for the right bars, it made an awful lot of sense. Yeah. And I, I think, Vince, we have to get into the, a little bit of the dirt here, which is the default rates. And, and the reason I want to talk about that is it, because it, it cuts every way possible. So the default rates show up in the newspapers. And there was a recent article that said that the federal loan default rate went from 11.5 to 10.8. So there was a slight decline. But you know, I think you and I as industry insiders would say that's pretty much fake news. Uh, because the federal government only reports default rates through the first three years of that repayment of the loan, so the actual default rate's greater. But my, my point here, not, not to divert too far, but my point is that one reason it's difficult for a board of directors or a management team in a smaller financial institution to get involved in, in student lending, I think, tell me if I'm wrong, is that they, they read these, these numbers and they say, well, we can't have a portfolio that has a 10% default rate, so don't talk to me about this. Is, has that been an impediment? And what, what are the facts around uh, credit underwritten student loans that your members are offering? Yeah, John, it's a very good point. And I think in the early days when we first started, we certainly had our fair share of clients who told us that whether it was their senior management or their directors would just see these things in the paper and be very, very concerned about it and and and, and basically lump all these loans together, both private loans and federal loans. And then you get into the whole discussion, right? Unfortunately, this has become a politicized conversation, right? That federal loans are good and private loans are bad. Right. And I, I look at these and I go, no, they're both necessary, right? I mean, they're, when you think about the cost of education, right? Um, these loans eventually are necessary, right? You're, you're, the expected family contribution after you know, scholarships, grants, and federal loans is still too high for the average family to afford without a private loan. Um, so yes, in the beginning, we had to educate uh, many of our potential clients on the differences between federal loans and private loans and why they perform differently, right? And we all know, right? On the pro- on the federal side, you know, the 19th, the, 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 the Education Finance Act and, and what it was eventually set out to do really was trying to create financing options for, for these individuals who are seeking secondary education. And it was based on need. So right. and based on their, their goal there was to, to foster access. They weren't so concerned about making great loans. They just wanted to, as you said, sort of democratize access to college, a whole different mission. That's right. And when you think about that, that is a noble mission, but it, it's gotten slightly out of hand as, the, as our economy has changed, right? From a manufacturing economy to a services economy and the landscape of potential schools that you can go to has also changed. So what we've seen is that private loans when under, underwritten correctly, right? And they are underwritten. So we're looking at everything from the credit bureaus on these clients or what I like to say is their ability to pay right. as well as their willingness to pay 
before someone will lend money to them, which is really important. Now, some people say, but that, that limits access. And the answer is no. In a way, possibly it does. But what it does do is it makes certain that this individual has the ability to pay back this loan. And that's a very important piece of this, right? Because you know, we can lend money to, you can give money out to just about anyone. The question is, can they pay it back? And that's an important part of the lending process. And that's an important part of the relationship that exists between a potential borrower and a potential lender. Yeah, and you don't want me to get on my soapbox about why it's better not to go to a college than to overborrow for one and wind up with no uh, with no um, degree, with a big piece of debt, and no job. Right. So I, we, we, in my college corner, we talk about that all the time. But I think the the point that you're making about the credit underwritten loan, the the way I say it sometimes to groups is that it's almost as if the private credit lenders now become the parents in the room. And, you know, saying to the student and that family, you know what, we're not going to give you this loan because we don't think you, you're going to have the ability to repay. And in fact, I think you're doing them a favor by keeping them out of financial trouble and asking them to rethink that whole process about what is the right fit from affordability perspective for that particular student rather than the emotional, gee, you know, I want Sally to go to college XYZ, the high cost private school because I went there or their friends are going there. Um, so I give you a lot of credit for standing up and, and saying, you know what, we're going to put some brakes on the amount that, that folks can borrow because we want to make sure that they can repay that. I think it's a responsible thing to do. No, John, it's the right thing to do because in the end, you know, thankfully, what we've seen is that many families have started to recognize that they have to think with their heads and not their hearts, right? You know, as as a parent of of two young girls, it's very easy to turn around and to say, well, they can go to any school and they can major in anything and then they'll get any job. And the answer is, well, that's not necessarily the way it always goes. And it is all about outcome, right? And that's what I tell families when I meet with them that, look, you need to think with, with your head and you really need to think about what the cost of this education is and then what the potential outcome is going to be, which is what is that job going to be? And is that job going to pay back the kind of salary that's going to carry this investment, whether you pay for it or you borrowed for it? And that's an important piece of it. And unfortunately, it's only until probably the last five years that we've started to see more and more folks really think about this and make those kinds of decisions. And they are tough decisions, right? You really are asking people to look at a child, you know, their child and say, no, we can't go to that school. Perhaps we can go to this school instead. Yeah, we go to, you know, we do these nights all the time and talk to families and that inevitably comes up. But I agree with you. I I think it is changing over the course of the last three or four or five years. And and like you, I I have two daughters who have now, one of them about to graduate in May, knock on wood, it all all continues to go well. But um, they're very conservative um, in their idea of how much loan they wanted to take there. I had to twist my older daughter's arm to take a credit card just because she heard that debt was bad. Um, so there, we're trying to educate in, in a very different way. And, and that leads me, uh, Vince, I think, to a topic that's really important. Um, we're, we're sort of New York guys, and we remember Cy Sims, an educated consumer, is my best customer. I used to say that all the time. He liked when people came in and they had some knowledge in the background. And I, I think what LendKey has also done, in addition to providing the infrastructure technology pipeline, we really stress this idea of financial literacy and, and educating borrowers as to what's right. Can you talk a little bit about how that plays into this whole equation? 
Yeah, once again, look, I think the best way for us to learn is to learn from our clients and credit unions, you know, they've been around for over 100 years. And they were based on this whole concept of right people helping people. The, 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 it is the ultimate social finance model, right? When you think about the way credit unions were formed, which means that education has always been a major foundation piece to the credit union movement in this country. Um, so Credit unions in the very beginning started to talk to us about everything from hosting college nights to, you know, we would attend some of their meetings and see what they did for the members. Everything from running seminars on debt management to money management to now how to plan and how to fund your child's college education. So, you know, we certainly followed their lead. And what we did was we tried to help them digitize that, right? Mm -hmm. So for every single one of our clients, we create an electronic storefront. You know, it's overused term, but right, it's the Amazon way, right, of bringing them into the market is to allow them to build a, dig a digital presence. And that storefront is what we call a lender landing page. It's the first page that a borrower will see when they go to any of our clients and apply for a loan. And that page does it serves a couple of purposes. The first is it, 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 it educates the consumer about the types of loans that are available from that particular financial institution that LendKey is hosting. The other, though, is that this is the place where many of our lenders are starting to customize and putting everything from tools so people can figure out, you know, what the payment is going to look like to information about, you know, what should you be thinking about when you're looking for this loan, right, to applying and potentially attending seminars that they run on everything from planning for college education to how to manage your, your, your student loan debt upon graduation. So that whole piece of education, you know, we really listen to our clients. We, we listened to their heritage and what the way they saw this experience moving forward. And it was more than just, a, you know, a, providing the providing loans. It was also about making sure that educating these consumers so that they understood this whole trade off of how much is too much to borrow based on what I'm trying to accomplish in my education needs. That's wonderful and an absolutely necessary view. Uh, you know, we did a nice job, I think, Vince, of, of looking back, and I'm always shocked at how quickly the time passes. But I do want to get your view uh, looking forward a little bit. Um, what, do you, what do you think the landscape is going to look like in the next three to five years for student lending in general? So, look, I, I think we talked a little bit about the changes that we saw happen, right, in the past sort of eight, nine years as we've seen more institutions jump into this student lending space. And I think we've all heard what's coming out of Washington in there. I think there's a recognition that the amount of funding that the U.S. government has placed into, the, into this industry is problematic and it can't be sustained. You know, so we are probably going to see a higher reliance upon private lenders to help to help fund that balance sheet on a go forward basis. So I think that's one. You will see more private loans than you've seen in the past. I think the second is that you will see that schools themselves are starting to be held more accountable for outcomes and therefore are going to start to look for more innovative ways to share risk. Right. So you, you know, we all we all saw the headlines of Purdue University and what they did with income share agreements, which right. is a very interesting way, right, for an institution to say, I believe that the students that go to Purdue are highly likely to get a job, so much so that if someone from Purdue needs to borrow twenty thousand dollars, the school will lend them the money and tell them that upon graduation, they will pay them back 10% of their income, regardless of what it is. So if they go to work for the Peace Corps, guess what? They won't wind up paying back much of that money. 
So I think that's the second. I think schools will be held more accountable for these tuition increases, and they will look for ways to be much more innovative, right, in how they fund their own students. I think third is we're starting to see the federal government and the Department of Education now start to apply some technology, right? Uh, right. So they're starting to make some moves there, recognizing that's going to be important. And I think finally, look, I think we will continue to see a more demanding consumer when it comes to the types of products and services they're getting. And I think that's really important, right? This whole goes to this idea of empowerment. With transparency comes an education, we get a smarter consumer. Going back to your comment, an educated consumer is exactly what we all want. We all want them to understand exactly what they're getting into, understand how to manage this and manage it properly because it's better outcomes for everyone. Yeah, there's no question. I, I, I say it all the time. And I don't know of any student who takes their loan thinking that they want to be the, the defaulter on that loan. I don't know of any bank or credit union or financial institution that wants to make a loan or makes a loan saying, gee, you know what, if they if this consumer doesn't work out, it doesn't work out right for them, they default on it, so be it. Uh, because nobody benefits in that scenario. And it bothers me, frankly. I started at the beginning with a little bit of an emotional thing. Saying it makes me feel sad when I, re- when I read this. But it actually does because it doesn't have to be this way because nobody wants it to be that way. right? The lender doesn't have any incentive at all to make a loan that's going to default. Certainly a borrower doesn't have any incentive to take one that's going to default. Um, so we're in this together. I think Invite Education, My College Corner, Lynn Key, and others who are progressively thinking about this are in exactly the same boat to try to drive home this mission to say to borrowers, know what you're getting into, think about your outcome. And by the way, if it doesn't look right right now, it's not going to feel right in five years from now when you're trying to feel try to pay this back. So, so do the right thing now. I think borrowers have some responsibility, but as you said, the lenders and the government and everyone else in this uh, financial aid student loan ecosystem have responsibility to drive these points home. John, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I, I look at our clients, you know, and Lenke's clients. Th- they are. Basically, these are the farm-to-table sort of community lenders that are out there today. I always tell folks, these aren't folks that were bailed out with TARP. These are institutions that take in local deposits and make local loans. So they're not in this business to write bad loans and thinking that that's going to be that's going to be a good outcome for anyone. And I think this whole concept of mutual responsibility is really important. And you know, whenever we talk to people about building this digital experience and we tell them what's important about it. Yeah, speed is very important. Uh, transparency is amazingly important. And education is really important because that's how you the building blocks for this mutual responsibility that you talk about. That's how it's created, right? No one ever wants a borrower to say, I really, I mean, I, I remember five years ago looking at headlines, we had uh, student borrowers who didn't know how much they owed. Right. And, and, and that to me is a failure on everyone's side, right? Uh, most importantly, on the lender side, right? If they have not built an experience where the consumer knows every step of the way how much money they're borrowing, yeah, that, that that's a huge problem. And, you know, Vince, I, I, I take my hat off to you uh, coming in from the outside, if you will, and, and really making a difference with a, not only in the technology platform but an approach to help students and families realize that they are consumers, that they do have some power and they ought to exercise it in a very favorable way. And then on the other side of that, bringing your colleagues together to say, let's serve this more responsible group with a product set that makes the most sense. It's just really very admirable. And I'm I'm glad that you came along. Is is there anything else that we should talk about at at this point? Any other topics that that you would want to uh, discuss before we say goodbye? 
No, John, I think we, we covered the landscape. I think we stayed away from the more political hot potatoes that are out yeah. there. Uh, but I do think, you know, as I, as I reflect back, the most important point, I think, is that this particular population, these students, these millennials, they're the future. And when, when I see discussions about education lending and, and folks lumping all these loans together and then potentially causing lenders not to want to get into this business because they think somehow it's bad PR, I always get very disappointed. I mean, th- this is our, th- 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 these, these individuals are our future. And, and unfortunately, student loans, are, given the cost of education, are going to be a part of their future. And, and when we founded LendKey, our view, and in, it's the same view we hold today, is that our ability to turn around and to bring more lenders into the space, to create the kind of transparency that's necessary, democratize the industry, is what's best. And in many times, we've had lenders say to us, well, you're going to bring all these lenders and I'm just going to compete with everyone. And the answer is that's right. And right. in that, something good will come out of it. And we think that's happened. So, and my hat's off to you, you know, John, and the whole team at Invite Education, because as a partner, you know, when I look at the tools you've built and even the content, these kind of podcasts, this is the kind of information that needs to get out and about to the broader population. So, so they will be better educated. They will understand some of the pluses and minuses, whether you're a lender or a bar or even a school for that matter. Well, Vince, thanks so much for that. And I'll let you off the hook now. We won't talk about it in the political uh, hot potatoes right now, as long as you agree to come back when we can do that, because I, I think there's some insight to be gained there. But uh, thank you so much. And, and I do want to thank you personally and, and your colleagues at LenKey for being such great supporters of our mission. You've all offered such great insight and many suggestions as we've evolved. And I, I do sincerely thank you for that. Awesome, John. Thank you so much. And thanks to Ken as well. Yeah, my pleasure. Well, that wraps up another great interview in my college corner. On behalf of Vince Passioni, I'm John Hupalo, thanking you all for tuning in and sharing your thoughts with us uh, when you can. So please contact us on your own. We look forward to um, having that opportunity. Till next time, remember, saving a dollar today is better than borrowing one tomorrow. <laughs>